In this series, I'd like to discuss shofar as a form of communication. As we approach Rosh Hashanah, there are two major elements of communication between us and the Kadosh Baruch Hu. The first is tefillah, all the prayers of the day, specifically Machuyot, Zichon the Shofarot, the kernel of the tefillah of Rosh Hashanah. And, of course, the second track is that of the Shofar. A well-known, classic, and convincing explanation of the Shofar is the Shofar serves as a natural cry, the primeval voice crying out to Kadosh Baruch Hu. It is not articulated tefillah, it's not a sophisticated, structured tefillah, but rather the original cry that uh, we utter as we feel threatened. Both the Rav and the Nitziv talk about the phenomenon of tefillah, the early stage of tefillah, the one in which man feels as a natural animal, his natural existence is threatened, he cries out, not necessarily for human cognition, intuitively, instinctively, what the Rav calls it, Tse'aka, Shomea Tefillah, Adecha Kobasa Yavau, which the Rav interprets to mean, here is prayer, all flesh comes unto thee, all flesh, including the animal kingdom. It's what we call Shomea Tse'aka, not Shomea Tefillah, the cry, the shriek, what the Torah describes, B'nai Yisrael in Egypt, simply crying out of pain and suffering, and this, in a sense, is the idea of the shofar. We take a natural object, a horn, which has not been transformed by human contact. We take an animal medium. We cry out as in nature. We shriek. We feel threatened on the one hand. and the other hand, we try to approach the Kadosh Baruch Hu in the most natural medium, in the most natural intuitive form, is, it is man in his early stages, the child, the, un, uh, the unintellectual, the unawaring, the uncognitive person, simply intuitively, instinctively crying out and using the medium of the shofar, the animal medium, to express such a voice. This, as I said before, is the conventional understanding of the shofar, and indeed much is to be said uh, for it. However, surprisingly, the Ramban, in his Drashim Rosh Hashanah, takes us to a different place. The Ramban uh, states over there the following. Dat balea digduk shehem omrim the opinion of lingu- linguists, and the man here agrees to it, Sheshofar eino el Hashem akliya metukan, imbo. The shofar is not a natural object, it's actually a transformed object. It's an artifact, not a natural object. It's been transformed by human genuity, and by human contact. Shema a kli, utensil, an artifact, she took imbo, 
אבל כל המחובים אשר בהמות ואחיות קרן שמם, in its natural state, we do not call it a shofar, we call it a horn, or in Hebrew a keren, ואין שם שופר מחובים כלל, the shofar in a natural state attached to the animal's head does not exist as a shofar, ולא בשלמים קודם שכדחן, a horn removed from an animal before a drill has been applied to it, before tools have been applied to transform it, it's not a shofar, it's a horn, a keren. And uh, later on he comments that the word shofar is derived etymologically from lishaper, to improve. In other words, the Ramban sees the shofar as expressing not man's natural state, but quite the reverse. It is the human, uh, <clears throat> it is, is the, human the advanced human stage of engineering, of creating, of the artificial word, artificial in the sense of artifact, that man is able to take a natural object and transform it. This has many halachic ramifications. In light of this, the Ramban treats the shofar as a full-fledged halachic object with rules and requirements. For instance, a shofar with a hole in it, shofar which is punctured, is possible according to halacha. It's disqualified, it can't be used. Most Rishonim, most commentators assume the reason for this is not because the object has been disqualified, but rather the voices, the music, so to speak, that is being produced is affected by the hollow. You puncture in the any such uh, musical instrument, you puncture a hollow, it affects the music. But if the music is not affected, if the voices, the kolos coming out of the shofar are not affected by the nekev, so according to most Rishonim, it is it's kosher. And the only problem that exists to begin with is the fact that uh, the, the music, the sound is no good. Rambando disagrees. In Ramban's view, a shofar with a hollow like an esrog which has been punctured. Same with the esrog is disqualified, not because it affects your ability to hold or possess in your hand, but rather the object is to be whole, complete. It has to be a decent, nice specimen and not uh, second rate. So too, the chauffeur also. The same way that, the, that, the, that an esrog with a hole is possible, so is the chauffeur in your band's opinion. Moreover, the Ramban is of the opinion that a person has to apply his lips to the shofar. The Rambam makes it quite clear that in his opinion, if a person were in theory to blow enough air through the shofar without touching it, he would, lay, he would, he would put the shofar on a stand on his table, come close to it and blow air from his mouth without uh, touching the shofar, such a... <coughs> Such manipulation would be kosher. Rambando is quite clear that the lips of the Baltokeh have to actually touch the shofar. The reason, once more, is that, in his opinion, the shofar is not simply a means to producing sounds, natural primeval sounds, but rather the object itself is significant. Say when we present the esrog, 
so too we present, in a, in a way, the shofar. And the reason is because the shofar is an indication of human achievement, of human accomplishment. It does not relate to man's natural precognitive, pre-engineering state. It relates to his more advanced stage, the one in which uh, he is able to produce, to transform nature, to remove himself from nature, to erect an artificial world in which he has structures, he removes himself from nature, he enters into buildings, he organizes his life in social structures, in cognitive structures, in in scientific analysis, uh, and so on. And the shofar represents this achievement. In uh, because as I said before, the shofar is from the phrase to improve, to better. First, we have in a sense a dual understanding of the shofar. The one hand, there are those who see the shofar as a natural form of expression, the original state of man as an animal his innocent natural state, in which he cries out, either naturally, as a child, who intuitively, instinctively, cries out to his father and mother, as a child crying in the night. In another uh, presentation, the same idea, it's like the threatened animal, who, who shrieks, tse'aka, in the stage of simply crying out of fear, once we're not making a structured presentation, and we have the Ramban's position, which is the shofar, as the reverse, as a musical instrument, like all musical instruments, it's created by man, music is structured sounds, with an inner organization, with uh, certain ratios between the notes, and the shofar participates in um, the shofar participates in presenting human accomplishment and uh, articulating human sound. If to move from the shofar to the sounds themselves, from the first perspective, we are trying to utter a shriek and a cry. Chazal famously learned some of. Um, some of the forms of these of these sounds from Aim Sisra, Sisra's mother who was sobbing and weeping. Yavevad Aim Sisra, her sobbing, and we view the Shvarim and True as a form of crying, emulating the natural sounds, or trying to somehow allow a human being to utter a natural cry. In the Ramban's perspective, the Shrem Tru are more organized sounds. So in music we have various sounds, there's a ratio between the different notes, so too there's a, there's a prescribed ratio between the Tkia, the Shvarim, the Trua, and uh, they are part of a scheme of human organization which comes to present itself. Of course, uh, both elements exist, Within human within human life, human being has his natural existence. He also has his unique human existence. The Torah describes him, gracious Perak Aleph, as being part of the natural order, 
the highest, the most powerful, the most godly, but nevertheless, as part of the natural order. In Bejus Perik Bet, of course, he's outside the natural order. He's the observer, he's the scientist, he is the subject who views all of nature as an object, and his dual perspective accompanies us throughout life, throughout all, all our existence. We interact on many levels, both naturally and with the unique human experience. And uh, the Shofar is no different. He comes to express this duality. The Rav, in an article he published in Tradition, Redemption, Prayer, and Talmud Torah, talks about dual feminology of tefillah, the tzi'aka, the threatened animal shrieking out, the slave in pain, which he talks about, Am Yisrael in Egypt, and the later stage of uh, organized tefillah. And he emphasizes there that our tefillah, Shmon Esrei, is structured, is organized, the tripartite structure of praise, supplication, and thanksgiving, according to the Rambam, is Midoraisa. The Torah itself mandates such an approach. One does not simply approach and cry out. One must go through an orderly process. One must organize his thoughts. The sequence of the brachot is explained by Chazal, Bracha after bracha, it's not intuitive, it's not impulsive, it's organized and structured in a certain manner. And uh, in a sense, our entire tefillah, Machut Zichon Shofar, are a very good example. They have very strict rules, there's a clear structure, there are uh, X amount of psukim, everything is symmetrical from the Torah and the Vim, Ksuvim, the elements of the text. Uh, it's very balanced, organized. Um, and uh, non-impulsive uh, tefillah. And uh, once more, to return to the Rav's, uh, <coughs> to the Rav's words, uh, both exist. Tzaka is not a feminological idea, but a halachic religious reality. Tefillah, though, because the word advanced awareness, does not replace tzaka, but coexist with it. Men, even the most sophisticated educated, frequently resembles the baby who cries because of pain, but, that, but does not know how to alleviate the pain. On the other hand, of course, though, we need the tefillah as well. Then it's even the end of the first paragraph of Sefer Tvarim makes very similar comments uh, and presents more or less the same ideas. And it is with this duality that we come and approach the shofar. An object or a part of nature, something I found in nature. A shriek, a cry, a sob an intuitive expression, an impulsive expression, or an articulate, sophisticated musical <coughs> musical uh, score produced by an artifact that man created um, and which uh, is simply an instrument, a musical instrument, like a trumpet uh, or any other, or a tuba, whatever, any other such instrument. To now return to Tkiot. Not only is there a dual perspective, but these may find expression in um, different elements within the Tkiot. First, major question within Tkiot, how much they come to express the idea of tshuva, of petition, of, um, of crying out in Yom Adin, how much they're more ceremonial, 
can be sensed to express a recognition of God's glory, of, a, of an element in his coronation, put differently, Malchut Hashem. And of course, both elements, both Melech HaKol Aretz, Malchuyos, Divine Majesty, and Zichronos, Day of Reckoning, Day of Judgment, in which God makes us all accountable for our deeds. Both of these are major elements within Rosh Hashanah. The Shofar addresses both of them. The Gemara says, Rosh Hashanah, Dav Tetzayin, Imulafanai Malchuyot, state Malchios on Rosh Hashanah accept and recognize my majesty in order that the accounting will be favorable and with what means through the medium of the shofar the shofar comes to um, express the Malchut and to provide or to, or to petition in the Zikaron. Bamet Bishofar. Therefore, um, we expect the Shofar to do both elements. And indeed, many uh, halachot express the idea of Malchut within the Shofar and others that the Zikaron. Those elements which express the Malchut go hand in hand with the Ramban's opinion of Shofar. The more ceremonial, the more we uh, make a ceremony of a, a coronation ceremony, the more the objects are taken into account. If one thinks of of human kings uh, and the long and the banners and the trumpets which are used uh, in, in their ceremonies, recognize the ceremonial um, idea of the object as well, not only um, the sounds. In particular, on Rosh Hashanah, as I said before, it's, it's, an element, it's an illustration of human achievement, which is part of why God becomes king. He is king because he created us, and the greater we are, the more accomplished, the more we achieve, the greater his majesty as well. Therefore, in the Shofar of Malchut, the shofar itself was meaningful. The Gemara tells us, that the Mikdash, in which the ceremonial shofar of Malchus, the Divine Majesty, was most important, being the center of Am Yisrael, being, it, so to speak, the public blowing for the entire nation, the Mikdash, they will not simply blow from a natural shofar the way we are accustomed to, a ram's horn, Simply a horn, nothing else. Rather, it was a shofar, which was gold-plated, which of course is disqualified and puzzled outside the Mikdash. But over there in Harabayit, Bisharei Harabayit, they would use a shofar which is gold-plated and would be accompanied by trumpets. Additionally, the shofar would not be uh, twisted, but rather it would be a straight shofar. Meaning a ceremonial shofar, which we emphasize the object itself through the means of the gold, through uh, the form of the shofar. It doesn't come to express a bent over suffering human being, but rather the majesty, uh, the erect, uh, <coughs> the erect uh, majesty, 
and of course accompanied by the ceremonial trumpets which signify the coming of the king. Our shofar, of course, this is, this is a subject of discussion, is kafuf. We take the shofar, which is bent over, in which we try to express a heart which is convoluted, bent over, um, subordinating itself to the Kadosh Baruch Hu, striving for tshuva. <clears throat> and thus we have uh, both of these. We have the same duality regarding the sounds themselves. As I mentioned before, in one conventional understanding, the Shreim Trua are a form of crying, of weeping, uh, while the Tkia is uh, more ceremonial, more confident, it is not for purposes of crying or supplicating, simply to express the blast of confidence and one which, of course, the um, expression of divine power and uh, sovereignty and authority. Additionally, Rosh Hashanah is the day of creation. In the uh, one tradition is the day of creation of the world. This is the starting day, the first day of creation. Another tradition is not the first day of creation of the natural world, but the day of creation of man. This is the first day in which man was created, created by Tosmer In the context we've been discussing, on the one, from one level, from one perspective, Rosh Hashanah celebrates nature. It's God's domain. We celebrate the entire natural world. Man is part of that. He's being part of the natural world. He expresses natural voices. He cries out naturally. He can also have a primeval natural existence, which is not set apart from the natural world, but actually puts him within the context of the natural world. As such... His, uh, he blows from with, with a natural medium. From the second perspective, Rosh Hashanah is the day of creation of man. Man is unique. Creation really begins with his creation. He's not part of the natural order. He's not simply the highest point, the climax of nature. He is unique. He's outside of nature. He stands separate from nature, alone. The man-God relationship is outside of nature. It transcends the natural world. Man removes himself. And as such, of course, he approaches with a signature human achievement, meaning the ability to, to transform nature. Because he's outside and not part of it, he's able to transform it. He therefore has the ability to use tools, to create artifacts, to organize his thoughts, to articulate them, to create, to combine the tkiot with the brachot, not, in, in this context, not a natural prayer accompanying articulated prayer, but rather a musical score to accompany the prayer. We articulate and we organize a sophisticated work in which the, the shofar accompanying the tefillah is the shofar of sophistication, of the, uh, of the human ability to organize sounds, to place them in context, and to use them to accompany a text which is also structured in itself. 
In this regard, the Ramban adds a crucial element to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is not only a day to celebrate nature, but to celebrate man, and celebrating man means celebrating man outside of nature, celebrating man as a cognitive being, as one who removes himself from nature, is in control of it and outside of it. I'll conclude by quoting um, a passage we say in the Tefillah, second day of Rosh Hashanah, one of the snippets that the Chazan says, uh, the Shatz of Shachris, which expressed the, Ramban, the Ramban's idea beautifully. So here the Python, as many Midrashim do, plays off the idea of Shofar Shippur, Shofar and Improvement, which of course is the same etymology that Ramban used to state in the beginning that the Shofar itself expresses improvement. So here he talks about improving your deeds. Shapru Masichem. Breathe, the covenant will not be violated. Na'akatchem ya'azin, shchakim shipar. So on the one he talks about na'akatchem, which expresses a shriek, a cry, it's a'ka. However, who will listen? He who shchakim shipar. He who improved the heavens. In other words, the motif of shofar is one of improvement. God improved the heavens. To put it differently, God was able to take matter and create to create matter and to form a sophisticated and um, whole order and a whole creation which he created by improving matter we too take a natural element and improve it the shofar therefore we approach outside of nature and by doing so by approaching with the improved shofar with the artifact with the expression of human greatness, Titavla Hashem Mishorpar. This will be greater than the Shorpar. What is the Shorpar? Little translation means right, the ox, the bull, but it's clear reference here to what Chazal talk about the fact that Adam Arishon sacrificed a Shorpar. Adam Arishon, at the beginning of creation, Brought a carbon from the most from the natural world, the short power, the biggest, most impressive animal or behemoth which uh, can be brought to Mizveach. He gave a large sacrifice, but his sacrifice of a short power remains in the natural world. He took a natural object, he took an animal, and simply sacrificed it. That was the beginning of creation when the world was in a natural state. However, what the python says here, we now come, we've improved upon nature. We just don't like to take an animal and just simply sacrifice it. We've taken part of the animal, an in, actually inanimate part even of the animal, and you've transformed it from something to be discarded from the animal's, uh, the animal's carcass after it's been uh, slaughtered, something seemingly useless, we've been able to create a beautiful instrument out of this. And therefore, by the same way we can improve objects, we can improve ourselves, we can improve human nature, the country man and God, which is, which is expressed through the idea of improvement and bettering nature, so here you cry, 
So he improved nature, and, and, and our ability to improve upon nature is preferable, is more desirable than Tabla Shemishopar Kadosh. This is a beautiful expression of Ramban's idea of the shofar as a mishaper, as an object, with the halachot of the shofar, as I said before, and it's this duality which runs throughout. I'll, by <coughs> In conclusion, let's just add. I said before, the shofar of Malchus, the shofar which accompanies the tefillah in this understanding, is the more sophisticated shofar, which provides the musical accompaniment, accompaniment to uh, the tefillah. But the tefillah to be yushav express the more natural element. We just simply take a shofar and blow thirty kolos. We do not uh, attach it to a text. It doesn't serve to articulate anything. So we have, in a sense, stage A in which we cry out. We simply grab the shofar, sob, weep, shriek, blow away without interruption. And then stage B, we take the shofar, this time in its more advanced stage, it's a musical instrument, and use it to accompany the brachot. So certainly in tefillah, we try to preserve both elements, as both the Revenants and the Nitziva indicate, so in the shofar, we have the first round, which is the more natural expression of the shofar, and the second round, which is the shofar as the object, as the instrument in which we attach it to a structured, articulate, sophisticated tefillah, and we combine these two elements, we hope the Kaddish Baruch Hu will give us a ketiva v'chatimah tovah.